0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning, church. My name's Landon. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be teaching this morning. Uh, man, we hope you've had a Merry Christmas, and I uh, hope you enjoyed a Foothills Christmas. I thought, it was just awesome, just some of the elements. And, and Mary, did you know? I mean, how good was that? Like, like that was an awesome service. And uh, so, God's doing some great things. I'm excited to cap off the year today. And uh, for us, this Christmas, and we hope you had a great one, but for us, this Christmas was a little bit bittersweet. Okay, here's why. Because this this is me and my wife, my wife and I's last Christmas, just us two, okay? Because we're having a baby in April. And so, so Miss Nora Elise will be joining us. So, this is our last Christmas, just the two of us, unless Nora dumps us off in a nursing home one day and leaves us. Uh, and so, this was our last Christmas, just us two. So, it's a little bit bittersweet, and uh, it's just kind of hard to kind of to think about and process all of this that, wow, it is... Uh, it's coming. It's coming very, very quickly. And I, we're so excited for Nora to get here. I'll tell you one thing that I personally am not excited about is uh, my schedule getting interrupted, okay? Uh, because somebody once said that babies kind of can interrupt your schedule. I don't know if that's true or not. I guess I'll just kind of figure that one out on my own, uh, but I don't think it's true. Uh, but because but, there's, there's two types of people in this world. There are type A and type B. Now, if you're a type A person, okay, that means you like list. You like schedules. You don't want any white space on your calendar, all right? You like probably Apple Watches that let you know when when, uh, you need to be somewhere. And uh, if, if you're the type of person who, if somebody's speaking and they're giving you points, and if I skipped a point this morning, you would like track me down in the parking lot, strangle me just so that your blanks could all be filled out, okay? That's a type A person. Now, type B, people, you like to go with the flow. Okay? You like to get there and just figure it out. You don't really care about the details. It's all going to get done. So let's just enjoy it and go slow. Now, as you can tell the way I talk about it, which one do you think I am? Okay. Type A, 100% type A. If there was like a type A plus, it would be me, okay? Uh, because I am so type A. Like my favorite part of my week, I kid you not, is making my calendar. I'm weird, I get it. And, and so somebody once said that there's no such thing as a type A baby, okay? They say that that there's no such thing as a type A baby. Now, I am, I'm just prepared, okay? I'm very prepared, all right? I am ready, because every morning, I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna work out, I'm gonna have my quiet time, I'm gonna eat my breakfast, I'm gonna brew my coffee, I'm going to meal prep and iron my clothes for the day, and then on my watch here, a notification's gonna go off, and it's gonna say it's time for the baby to get up, and she will rise and call me blessed. (laughs) Just the way it's gonna happen, guys. I just know it, I just know it. See, I am probably not prepared for the interruptions that are probably about to occur. In my life, see, I'm not against interruptions. Okay, I, I'm 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 cool with interruptions as long as there's a place on my calendar for it. Okay, then then that interruption's fine. But a baby is coming. My life is about to get interrupted, and uh, I just I'm just not prepared for it because I like to go fast. I like to to run straight ahead. I like to get a lot of things done. I like to knock as many things off my list as possible. And uh, that is just not necessarily the case. Sometimes when you have a child, is what I hear. And uh, so this Christmas, though, as, you know, Christmas just goes by so fast each and every year, um, you know, my, my greatest, God's greatest grace to me outside of knowing him is knowing my wife. And, uh, and Leanna, my wife, she she always, she says these words and she says, you're, you're going to miss this, okay? And so like at Christmas, she is the one to slow me down and, and to get me to just remember these moments instead of just trying to, to go so fast through everything, and it may be like taking a random walk together—you know, throwing on the coat and walking around, look at Christmas lights around our neighborhood. It may, uh, it may be just scrapping all of our plans in the morning and, and just getting up and going and having breakfast and coffee with one another. It may be, uh, it may be turning off our phone or turning off the TV and just playing a game with one another. It may be me actually breathing when I eat instead of just inhaling the food that's in front of me. Okay, but but whatever it is, Leanna always is so good about saying, hey. Slow down. You're going to miss this because it's not going to be like this forever. And no matter what, when we do those things and we slow down, it's normally in those moments where my soul kind of finds what it's made for. To to, to kind of breathe, to, to rest, and to find the true life and the true purpose and the true meaning that God intended for my soul. See, that's what God made me for. And I, I just kind of got thinking about this question, like, what would our lives be without the interruptions? Now, it, just about everybody in here, I would guess, loves Christmas movies. I love Christmas movies. Some of you all have been watching Christmas movies since October. That's a sin, okay? Uh, some of you, some of you ladies uh, had have, have had Hallmark on since like June, okay? You're just ready for the Hallmark Christmas movies. And if there was a 24-7 Hallmark Christmas channel, you would watch it just, you wouldn't stop essentially. Okay. My wife loves the Hallmark Christmas movies, but we all love some type of Christmas movie. So as a kid, my favorite Christmas movie was Home Alone. Anybody like that? Anybody at all? Okay. Got some Home Alone people. Now think about Home Alone. Nobody just wants to watch Kevin and Buzz open gifts on Christmas morning. No, we need an interruption, okay? We need Harry and Marv, okay? The story needs Harry and Marv to come in, to hit them with a paint can, to do the tool chest sliding down the, the stairs. Like, we need Harry and Marv for the story to have meaning, okay? Now, think about the Grinch. There's a reason it's not called the Cindy Lou Who. No one cares about Cindy Lou Who singing her little song, doing the holiday cheer master. No, we need the interruption. We need the Grinch. We need Baxter. We need them all to come into the story to change up and interrupt the whole Christmas so the plot can have its meaning. Think about Elf, okay? I hate the first 20 minutes of Elf. I don't want to see him talk to Mr. Narwhal. I don't. I could care less about the snowflake, the snowman who, who and all. I, I just don't care. All right? I want to see Buddy the Elf hopping down the road, eating, the, eating the, the gum, running through the doors, finding the world's best cup of coffee. Like, I want the interruption. That what's make the story good. Think about the classic Christmas movie. And no, I don't mean whatever those old black and white ones were. I mean Christmas Vacation, all right? <laughs> Think about Christmas Vacation. Clark Griswold, you're the man, but we need Cousin Eddie for the movie to be right, you know? We need him to look at him and say, you serious, Clark? And and, and we, we need him to talk about the plate in his head that he blacks out when he walks through metal detectors and has this weird part in his hair now, okay? Like, we need Cousin Eddie for the story to have meaning because nobody wants, you know, if, if we didn't have those interruptions, I mean it's just kevin and buzz they wouldn't have found the meaning of christmas it would just be elf he wouldn't get to save christmas with if he was just up in the north pole we wouldn't clark griswold wouldn't get to find out that the jelly of the month club is not as important as family without the interruptions the story loses its meaning and here's the deal I know that no matter what, it's normally in those interruptions of life that you will find the meaning. It's in the interruptions of life that you will begin to see the plot that God has destined for you. We need the interruptions. People need the interruptions. And in one of the best monologues in Scripture, we see God interrupting the story. So today I'm titling my message, Prepare Room for the Interruptions. We talked about it at Foothills Christmas. We talked about how we need to prepare God room in our hearts and lives. That we, he doesn't just need to be just, just like the major scene where we pull it out for Christmas time and we put it back in the box and then pull it out again next year. That we need to create a space. We need to give God our entire lives and create him room to be first in our lives. So today I wanna kind of take that a little bit further. And I wanna challenge you to prepare him room for the interruptions or prepare room for the interruptions. So in John chapter one, which is where our main text is going to be today, I want to just, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get, get it out to that. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But, but in John chapter one, we see a, just a huge interruption to the story. I want to read it to you. So it says in verse one, it says this, John chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, let's stop there. Most of your Bibles, that, that Word is capitalized. Now, if you haven't been around church very long, and, and, and maybe it's your first time here, I mean, we're so glad that you are here this morning. But, but when we're reading this, in the beginning was the Word. It's kind of Christianese, if, if you know what I'm saying. Like, like You kind of have to go into it. But, but the original language here in Greek the word is, is a word called logos. And logos is, a, is, is pretty much a divine self-expression, meaning that it, it refers to God. So we see here in the text, it says, in the beginning was God. And the word was with God. Now that can kind of confuse you. But then it says, and the word was God. So as we look into this, okay, we know that what the text is talking about here is in the beginning was Jesus. He was in the beginning, Jesus was there with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in the beginning. He was never created. He has always existed in perfect relationship as the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word. And it says the Word was with God and the Word was God. Let's keep going. Verse two. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So, so so, go back again to verse two. It says, he was in the beginning with God. I want you to know that Jesus is not like God's sidekick. He is God. He was in the beginning. He's always been there. He was there in the darkest moment of your life. He was there when you thought you had no hope. He was there when you were a kid and a parent left you. He has always been there. He was in the beginning. He's been in your highs. He's been in your lows. He was always there. Even when you least expected it, he was following right behind you. He was in the beginning and the Bible says that that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And the the Bible goes on and and continues. It says, in him was life. and, And the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip to verse nine. It says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. So, so Jesus, who gives the only thing, the only place, only, only source of true life, Jesus was coming into the world, and he was the, the true light, which gives light to everyone. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. So Jesus comes to the world and people rejected him they put him on a cross they, they called him a blasphemer they, they said he, he was crazy he was a heretic. They, they, his own people did not receive him but all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of uh, or the will of flesh nor of the will of man but of God and this is one of the best verses in all scripture in my opinion it says here it says in the word, became flesh. Jesus, who was with God in the beginning, who was God, becomes flesh. He's in a manger and dwells among us. And the author says, and we have seen his glory. The glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. See, this is the Christmas story. You know that. This is the Christmas story. This is the gospel. This is the greatest story ever told. But if you'll notice, I skipped a couple of verses, okay? I skipped ahead, and, and here's why. I'm the type of guy I, I, I like flow. Like I like things to kind of go together. Like I like words to kind of roll off the tongue very, very easily. Uh, like I, I, I really love, love like hip hop and poetry and spoken word and and things that just kind of all go together, have a cadence and a flow to it. And as you read this, it kind of feels like this story, this monologue about the light came is interrupted. It just doesn't really flow together. But I believe God has something important to say here. So I want to read it. So we'll start in verse 5. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness. So as you're reading that, it feels a little choppy, doesn't it? It's like the light came. The light shines in the darkness, but there was a man sent from John, or n- named John, and, and it's, it's, it's almost like John was like, "Hey, uh, hey, don't forget, don't forget about John the Baptist here. Don't forget about him. Like, I, I, hey, I know Jesus came, dwelt flesh. That's all great, yeah. But don't forget about me. Right? It just kind of feels weird. And, 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 and I don't know if you've ever had a preacher who who just had the voice." You know what I'm talking about? Like the preacher voice. Like he could be reading the side effects of medicine and you're gonna cry and like give all glory to God, okay? He just has that voice, okay? And so when I think about this text and I think about reading it, I feel like that text is in that voice. Like the light shines in the darkness. It's like the dude who's doing the movie trailers is reading it. It's like, and the light shines in the darkness and you got people amen, and they're putting their hands up, you know? And, 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 it's, like, and it's like, but there once was a man sent from God, whose name was John. It's like, what? Where did that come from? You just had the most epic text, and it's like, where? why does John come in here? And so I think the question should be asked, why does God, because he authored scripture, why does God interrupt this awesome monologue, this poetic monologue that that uses the illusions of light and and darkness and and life and all these different things. Why does he interrupt this story with, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Why does does God do that? Here's why I think. That's my bottom line for today. Because the gospel, which is that story, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Think about that. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So John came to bear witness about the light. Think about this. All of Jewish history, all of history had been leading up to this moment, the advent the promised Messiah. They had waited thousands and thousands of years or or 2,000 years for the Savior to come and set them free from their oppressors and change eternity. But they didn't get this militaristic Winston Churchill, General Patton type person they were looking for. They received a baby in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem. No one knew about it. No one cared. And the hope of the world sat there in a horse trough in Bethlehem. And the only thing that bore witness to the light of the world now was a star, some shepherds, and a couple of goats. So God said, let's use John. Now, let's think about who John is. If you, if you have no Christian background or history here, you know, John, we call him John the Baptist, okay? Which pretty much means he didn't drink in public. Because he's Baptist, okay? And and so, you know, but but the reason why we call him that is because he would baptize people out in the wilderness, okay? And so he would baptize people a lot like the way that we baptize today. And, And he would, you know, submerge people underwater and bring them back up to signify that they have repented of their sins, just like Jesus did. Okay? Jesus was baptized and he came back. Okay? And so came back up from the water. So he's baptizing people in the wilderness. The Bible says he he eats locusts and honey, and so he kind of lives off the land. He's an outdoorsy type guy, and he's actually Jesus' cousin. And his job, as Mark 1:36 says, is to prepare the way of the Lord and to make his path straight. So so John's out in the wilderness. He's saying, listen. You need to turn from your sins because the promised Messiah, Jesus, is here. He's walking among you. Get ready. I mean, Jesus hasn't even began his ministry yet. And John is pointing, saying, no, hey, he's coming. You need to be ready. You need to repent of your sins. Come back to God. And the Bible, the Bible continues to say that in John 1, he says, As Jesus is walking towards him, it says in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he pointed to Jesus. He says, look, there's the one. You've been looking how to get all your sins gone. You've been looking for forgiveness. There he is. He pointed to the one who takes away the sin of the world. He pointed to the one who did not just have the power to overthrow the Romans. He had the power to conquer and crush a much greater enemy, which was sin. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That is the story that if we believe, we too can find victory from our enemy, sin, and death. That is the good news. But that's not good news for everyone. This past week, we had a beloved partner here at FC pass away. His name was Don. And and man, if you had ever met this guy, you just knew how much he loved Jesus. He would greet at a door back there, I think for, for, I believe, third service every week. And, and he was just an amazing man. Uh, he, he, he got cancer and had some things happen where he was starting to find some relief. He kept serving Jesus though. I mean, he, you could not keep this guy in a hospital room. He would love to be back here at the church greeting and sharing the love of Jesus. That's just who he was. Well, he ended up getting cancer. The cancer came back and he passed away. Now, here's what I know. When Don took his last breath, when he lay there with his friends and family, He took his last breath. The gospel was really good news for him. Because he met Jesus right then and there in an answer. He met the one he had been serving. He met the reason why he came every week. He met the reason why he gave his life to him in the first place. In a moment, the gospel was very good news. But there are people in this world who rejected Jesus their whole life. They, they didn't care. They never gave him any of their attention, never gave him any of their worship. They never, they never bothered to even think about God. And they lay there on their deathbed. And when their eyes close and they take their last breath, the gospel is very bad news to them because they, didn't get to, they don't get to meet Jesus. They spend an eternity apart from him. And that proclamation of victory, which is the gospel to us, is an indictment of judgment upon them. See, the gospel is good news if it gets there in time. So, John here, he's inserted into the story to tell the world the good news, to prepare the way, to point out to Jesus, the only one who has the power to save. That was John the Baptist's job. And that's our job too. Your job is to point people to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a day or 50 years. Our job is to point people to Jesus, point people to the good news, point people to the place that they can find hope, life, meaning, and purpose. And there's nothing more significant that you can do in 2018 than point people to Jesus. You want to know what to do with your marriage? Here you go. Point people to Jesus. You're a senior in high school. You're trying to figure out what to do in college here in several months. Oh, point people to Jesus. You're wondering what to do now that you've know you, you you've walked through this hard time in your life. Point people to Jesus. Oh, you have cancer and things like that. Well, use your cancer to point people to Jesus. You, you, you're, you're struggling right now. You're, your life's really, really good right now and everything's going well. Your, your job's good. You're getting a raise at the end of the year. What do I need to do with this raise? Oh yeah, point people to Jesus. That was John's job and that's our job As well, your job is to point people to Jesus. One night, uh, I was watching a show. It was like 8.30 and it was right in the middle of like the best part of the show. And the show clicks off and it says, we interrupt this program to bring a special news bulletin. I like to gone crazy. It's like, what? It's right in the edge. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you as you're watching TV and it just interrupts. Or or nowadays, we have more of the, uh, like the Amber Alerts that come up on your phone. You know, and everybody's phone goes off. Well, one night I was preaching in student ministry. And, uh, you know, when I'm preaching on Wednesday nights, we have seniors who are doing like trigonometry and pre-cal and things like that, things I can't even spell. Uh, And and then I have sixth graders, which is like herding cats, okay? I have to like (laughs) clap, jump around and do all these things just to get them to, to, to have any attention whatsoever. And so one night we're out there and I'm speaking and all of a sudden, you start hearing the tone everywhere. You're like, oh, oh my goodness. And so automatically now I've lost like this whole section of six graders right here. All right. And they're just just done. And I'm just like, let's just pray and be done. Uh, No, but, but it was kind of annoying in the moment. Okay. But, but you know what? That message of an Amber Alert, is really important, isn't it? Because there's a kid who's missing. There's a kid who's gone, has been kidnapped and taken, and we need to find that person. See, that message was important enough to interrupt a moment of our night. And see, the gospel is the most important message. And it's okay for us to interrupt someone's regularly scheduled programming to share that news. Because the gospel's only good news if it gets there in time. The interruption was needed. Because if it didn't get there in time with the Amber Alert... It could have been very, very, very bad. See, I want to challenge you with something. I want to challenge you with something as we go into 2018. Here it is. Be the interruption. Be the interruption. John was the interruption that God intended for the story. And listen, we forget this so often. You are the interruption that God intends for someone else's story. God intends to use you, to use the people at Foothills Church so that more people might come to know him. You are that interruption. God has no plan B for the world. It's not like, well, if the people of Foothills Church don't don't get out and share the gospel in Maryville, like, well, I'm I'm just going to put a message in the clouds. No, no, there is no plan B. You are plan A, plan B, plan C. We, the people of God, coming to church, being sent out and sharing the good news is God's plan A. John was the, what God intended for Jesus' story, and you are what God intends for someone else's story as well. And as you're thinking about that, that sounds a little bit intimidating for some of us who maybe you, you just accepted Christ or, or, or you've never been taught how to do that. But, but it's honestly, it's very, very simple. Because when we read in John chapter one, you know, we, John chapter one, verses six through eight, we say there once was a man from God named John. And he was not the light, but he came To bear witness about the light. And in those three verses there, the word witness is said three times. So you're wondering what it means to be the interruption, which is my challenge. It means witness about God witness about him. And see this was not just like, you know, John's job. Actually, when Jesus was about to go up to heaven in Acts 1:8 it says, "And and and you will be my witnesses." He's talking to the disciples. He he's really talking to a broader audience, all Christians. "You will be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." You are the witness. So again, when we read that and we hear that, like, what's it mean for me to be a witness? What does it mean to be the interruption? I want to give you just three really, really quick, practical things that we can do. So I, as I was thinking about just how, how can we give practical ways to be the interruptions? I thought of, you know, here's, here's kind of our three spheres of our life. We're either on the go, we're at home, okay, or at church, so, so on the go means you 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 might be you know running, grabbing your coffee, getting to work, you know, getting gas, you know, doing doing the little league games and going back and forth to basketball games every night of the week and practices. So you're constantly on the go, okay? Or or at home or, or at church. So I want to give you some practical ways we can do this. So on the go, I'm gonna just give you one, okay? On the go, share your story with someone. The Bible talks about how we are to be a witness. And not just a witness about what Jesus did in Scripture, you're also a witness about what God's done in your own life. Now, this can be this can be uh, very, very simple. It can be a little more intricate. You know, it can be just as much. You know, we're, we're constantly inundated with with waiters and waitresses and, and and people who are serving us who who just seem to be having a bad day. Okay, and, and I know my job is to, or, or like my first inclination is to is to like. Like, well, there's a mark off the tip, all right? Or like to get frustrated with bad service. But, but what if as we were on the go, we didn't just have this transaction of money. What if you slowed down and shared your story with somebody? Your story about how, how, how God met you where you were at when you were hurting and you were hopeless or when you were sick. How how or maybe you, you get to tell them about how how you came to faith in Christ. What if you slowed down and instead of just, you know, going in and out of restaurants, you started to to go to the same gas station every week? Or you started to get you go at the same time to get your coffee at Starbucks every week at the same Starbucks, just so that you could build a relationship with someone who's there. Just so that you could begin to share your story with that person. It may not the gospel's not shared in a conversation. Often it's shared through conversations. We have multiple conversations with the same people. So when we're on the go, what if you got to a place where you were sharing your story with somebody? Second thing is at home, getting to know your neighbors is so important. There's a lot of big subdivisions around Maryville. And a lot of times we only know the people who live to the right or to the left of us or the people who go to the same church or play on the same teams as us. What if you were intentional about getting to know the people on your street? What if you were intentional about getting to know everybody in your neighborhood and, and inviting them over to dinner some night just so that you could talk with them and so you could maybe invite them to church or invite them to your small group? What if we got to know the people that were around us? Maybe you don't live Maybe you, you don't live in a neighborhood. Maybe it's the people that, that you're, you're constantly working out beside of. And so you get up in the morning and, and you do your routine every morning. What if you took your headphones out? What if you took your headphones out and began to just kind of talk to the people that you, that you do reps beside every week? What, what, it may not be at home, maybe not be at the gym, wherever you're at. What if you got to know the people around you? Imagine how you could interrupt their life. Number three is at church. At church, it's very, very easy to just to, to come, to sit here, and to leave. What if you would witness to the next generation? Here's what I mean. At church, we have some amazing opportunities to serve the next generation. We have our Sprout program, which is for our babies. We have our our Little Street program, which is for our preschoolers. We have our our Kids Street. Then we have FC students on Wednesday nights. What if instead of just just coming in and leaving, what if you took time at church to be the interruption by witnessing to the next generation of kids and students? Listen, if you're serving a student, you're already changing the world. Okay? Because you will have the opportunity to invest in something below you that will last beyond you. One day we who are older, we will die and we will be gone. But those kids who you met in Kid Street will still be serving Jesus if you if we invest well. Okay? You can witness to the next generation. We can share how, hey, hey, you know, I, maybe, maybe you had a divorce. You can share with a teenager, man, you, you got to learn these habits of what it looks like to be steadfast in your relationships now so that so you don't have to have a divorce one day like I did. Or, or, or maybe you shared about some of your struggles, or maybe you had an alcohol addiction or something like that. You can share with a student who is literally forming the habits that will last them the rest of their lives. When kids are developing in fifth and sixth grade, they're literally creating neural pathways that they will keep with them the rest of their life that will teach them habits. What if you taught them a different habit? What if you taught them how to to submit their lives to Jesus? What if we witnessed to the next generation here at FC? You would be amazed by what would happen We'll pack out 500 kids here on a Wednesday night sometimes. What if you were a part of that? You can witness to the next generation. As you know, I'm a student pastor. That's my main main responsibility here is I oversee sixth through 12th grade. And each and every week, we have uh, just some amazing volunteers who serve with our students. We have over 100 people who serve each and every week uh, who who just wanna be here to invest in the next generation. Well, here's the thing about, about kids and students is that if you will teach them to follow Jesus when they're a kid or student, okay? Before they graduate. A lot of times that will stick with them. They may wonder in college and things like that, but, but that foundation of faith is so important for them to continue to follow, And our volunteers and all of our family ministries they know that it is so important to catch a kid and to get them to trust Christ and submit their lives to Jesus before they graduate high school. Because if they don't, it's going to be hard to keep them at all. And it's going to be hard to see them come back to church. So we know there's a limited window where you can invest into a child or student's life. And I hear all the time, man, you know, I would serve in students. I'm just too old for that. Or or, I'm just not cool enough. I'm not exciting enough. Or I can't keep a a sixth grader's attention. But that's not true. Because they don't need some superstar model in their life. They don't need somebody to, to, you know, excite them all the time. They need somebody who's going to be consistently witnessing to them about who Jesus is and how it impacts their life. And so each and every week, we, we, see, we have some, some older folks in our ministry who, who will serve. Some of them are in their 50s and, and, and some are even into their mid-60s who are serving kids. I think about guys like Mark Rector, okay? Mark Rector, he is, he's an older gentleman who serves here each and every week. He has about 12 to 15 eighth grade boys who are with him every week and they love him and they've been with him for three years. He is making a difference in their lives. He, as a small group leader for them, has seen most of them come to faith in Christ and he's, He's into his 60s. I mean, I think about guys. You should see a guy who named Tom Sparks. You should see him lead his sixth grade boys. He has these sixth grade boys, and he is like 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 one of their dads, or I guess grandpas now. Uh, but but he is, I mean, amazing to see these kids come around him. And we have people who are older. We have people who are in their thirties. We have people, you know, like like Tracy Sparks. This this is a woman who who got a group that you know was kind of eclectic, and and she is is now seeing all of these girls who are who are you know, not just, not just coming on with it. they're reading their Bible. They're being discipled. I mean, I think about people like, like Angela Chafin and Whitney Brown and some of these seventh grade girls leaders. I mean, we have, we're about to have four seventh grade girls small groups okay, because of the faithfulness of these kids, or of these these leaders. I mean, it is amazing to see what God will do through you if you will commit to interrupting a kid or student or an elderly person or somebody's regularly scheduled program to witness about who Jesus is They do this each and every week because they know that the gospel's only good news if it gets there in time. And it's on them to see those kids come to know Jesus before they graduate. Man, imagine what would happen as a church if we all had the same heart. Imagine if every person who sits in a seat every week had the same heart as as some of the volunteers who serve here and some some of you all who serve here, imagine what would happen if we all said, you know what, we're gonna interrupt our own regularly scheduled programming. We're gonna interrupt our own time. And we're gonna say, you know what, here's what's important in 2018. I need to interrupt somebody's schedule. I need to get in there and I need to show and point somebody to the savior of the world. Listen, 2018 is scheduled to be our best and biggest year at Foothills Church we have been praying and working and giving and doing whatever it takes to build a building that is our own so that we have space to see more people come to know him. And one of the cool things about what we're doing is we're not just creating an auditorium so you all can go sit somewhere on a Sunday. We're clearing out space in here for our kids For the kids who come here each and every week in Kid Street are going to be meeting right here, probably sitting in the floors right here, listening and having a foundation of faith laid. And we're going to see so many amazing things as we move into this building. This year is going to be our biggest year. We're going to see more people come to know him than ever before. I'm believing that in 2018. We're going to see more people baptized in our lobby than we've ever seen before. We're going to see more first-time guests, more people than ever before. God is about to do something amazing here in that new auditorium in this building. And we need to be ready to interrupt our regularly scheduled Programming to see people meet Jesus. We must have a passion for others this year. One of the best pictures of this type of passion for me was my Oma. Oma is what I called my grandmother. I don't know where we got that name. I think it's like Dutch or German or something like that. And yeah, German. But I always called her Oma, you know, ever since I knew her. And so Oma she was one of the most giving people every you know just that I've ever seen every single christmas was amazing like, I just, I love at four o'clock, every Christmas Eve, we'd go over there, we'd have dinner. She would make biscuits and they were out of a can, but they tasted better. I don't know why, okay? Uh, but, but and she would have all these presents. She had stockings for everyone. If there was a cat that walked across her property, she probably had a stocking waiting on them, okay? That's just who she was. It was awesome, okay? And and so, Oma, she would have all these gifts. I remember one year, um, my dad was about to get remarried. And, and so, who the people who became my uh, stepbrothers stepsister came over to Christmas that year and she didn't really know them yet or anything like that and she heard they were coming last minute and so she went out and got all these little small gifts for them wrapped them so they'd have gifts to open that's just the type of woman she was Christmas was my favorite time with Oma it was awesome well she was also one of the strongest women I've ever met uh her husband when my dad was little would, would would abuse her and uh, he, you know, got ran off by her brothers and everything like that. And so, so she raised my dad alone, single mom, and uh, and and one of the most strongest points of her life was she she battled cancer. She's widowed, never remarried, battled cancer, but she didn't tell anyone about it for over a year. She would go to the hospital, she'd go to chemo, without telling a soul—not her son, not a friend, not her not her daughter, nobody. Not even her own mom. She wouldn't tell anybody about it. She battled cancer alone for over a year. Well, her cancer got really, really bad right around Christmas time. And so we didn't get to have Christmas together on that year. And so as we went there to the hospital, she, she was on her deathbed right around Christmas time. And, um, and she, she said something that impacted me so much. She, And this is the type of person she was. She said to, I don't know if it was to my dad or my aunt, she said that, hey, there's a, there's a jug of milk in my fridge. It's new. Would you make sure the neighbors next door have it? Because they need it. Man, talk about being others focused. She's about to die, and she's thinking about, what can I give to someone? That's the type of woman my own was. But you know one thing I regret about our relationship? as much time as I loved her, as much as I I loved her, as much time as we spent together, I never talked to her about Jesus. I know she went to church as a a kid and I know that she said she was saved right before she died, but but we never talked about Jesus. I never got to encourage her or, or talk to her about her faith in Christ. I never did and she passed away. And man, I regret that so much. And I know when I think about all the gifts that she had given me and I think about the story with the jug of milk she had given me a lot of great gifts over the years but that was one of the greatest because she taught me something because I was too nervous to think about her and her relationship with God but she was always thinking about other people see that was the interruption that my life needed I just wish I could have been the interruption her life needed and I hate that I hate it. See, she passed away and I never interrupted our regularly scheduled programming to tell her the good news. I didn't get to do it in time. And that taught me to be the interruption that people needed. Because the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Those moments taught me that pointing people to Jesus was the most important thing that we can do because you and I are not promised next Christmas with anyone. You're not promised New Year's Day with anyone. You're not promised tomorrow with anyone. So tell the good news today. Point people to Jesus today. Be the interruption so that the good news will get there in time. I believe in 2018 is gonna be our best year ever because I know that God is working in your hearts to be the interruption that the people in our city, in our community, and the kids and the students who come here each and every week need this year. Let me pray for you all. Father, we, we pause and we just, we're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful that, that you interrupted your divine story to come and, and, and be flesh and dwell among us, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving many of my friends in this church today. God, I pray that just as you interrupted the story, we would interrupt someone else's. God, we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.